It's time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for Truth exists to glorify God through the edification of His saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in the studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Hello, friends, and welcome. Also, a shout out to Todd, uh, one of our uh, most faithful listeners. It's always great to hear from Todd. And to all of our listeners, thanks for being here. Uh, Wherever you may be and whenever you may be listening, thanks for making us part of your day. Before we get into our final episode for our distinctive of family integration for today, Jim, how are you? You know, I'm doing good. I uh, had an unfortunate hit and run in the Walmart parking lot, so my truck had some damage and I spent three hours underneath it with a heat gun getting that plastic rubber fender back in place. But uh, other Turned than that, great. yeah, other than that, it's been a pretty good day. And Todd is a, a great listener of ours and a great brother in Christ. And Todd, you belong at Truth Family Bible Church. <laughs> okay, well, moving on here before we get into controversy. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we appreciate all of our listeners, but Todd is especially a, a guy who's uh, encouraging to us, and uh, we, we appreciate uh, his feedback. Well, uh, we return to our discussion today of our church distinctives. We're getting close to winding down this first season of the podcast. Uh, One more distinctive to go after this, and we will close out our discussion of family integration today with our third episode on the subject. Yeah, and just real quick on that, Danny, if anyone has any ideas for our next season podcast, please get a hold of us and let us know. We're thinking through what that's going to look like and how we're going to formulate that, and we've got some exciting ideas, but we would love to hear from you. Yes, absolutely. That That would be great to hear from you. Uh, and as a reminder, uh, as we are working through our distinctives here, family integration is really just a modern term that is used to describe what used to be well-known uh, just as church. <laughs> uh, family integration is not a new or novel concept. Uh, the thing that is it, that actually is new is what is practiced today by most churches, and that is the philosophy of education and worship that separates the body of Christ into age classes. And Many are even willing to segregate the worship service itself where children are dismissed from it. Uh, But what we're talking about really goes against the flow. We realize that in our day, we are paddling upstream in the modern church today. And it goes back to these historic moments in history where individuals and churches were trying to solve for some real social and family dynamic problems. Many of the things happened really innocently and uh, well-intended. Um, and so people did their best to make the most of what was really a sinful social dynamic. The original Sunday school, we talked about that, was actually just school uh, on Sundays because you had illiteracy and um, these children were in, in, in factories and, uh, and they were just cogs in the machine and they weren't treated really as uh, young human beings uh, that were dignified and respected and uh, taught uh, the basics of what it means to be a part of, of a, a thriving society for their own benefit and welfare as well. And so uh, Christians really came to the rescue uh, wanting to provide a service and, and, a, and a helpful one. But what we find in the church today, though, is a model that was uh, has taken its cue from the public school model and a secular philosophy of education. And in those models, you find a new approach to education 
which is to give everyone their own tailored, quote-unquote, age-appropriate content. And since children and youth learn at different levels, then we need to separate them from each other. However, uh, we're going to talk about uh, today that that is not the ordinary biblical design. Uh, Last time we talked about the failures of youth groups as an experiment that is only about 50 years old. Um, now that means it has been around for my whole life. I'm under 50, but we have to we have to step out from our own recency bias for a moment. Uh, really get our minds off of just simply what we've come to know in our own lifetime and realize that the world is bigger than us. <laughs> the history and the history of the church uh, goes well beyond just our own lifetime. And, and so, uh, really, the uh, we need to consider that that 50 years is really a short time in the history of the church. And the evaluation of many has been that the youth movement has been a significant generational failure. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that last episode if you didn't uh, catch that one yet. But today we want to talk about some of the principles for understanding what we are doing and how to make the most of it. (coughs) Uh, The first is that uh, you should view the church as your family. Now, of course, when we're talking about the universal church, we recognize that our brothers and sisters in the faith span history and geography, right? We are united with those who share a common faith that is from God, and we share in the reality that we are all saved and adopted into God's family by grace through faith. But just like we believe in the universal church, we also believe in the institution of the local church. And in Galatians 6 verse 10, Paul talks about doing good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. He was talking about our fellow believers who we see and who we know. And he speaks in Ephesians 2.19 that we are part of God's household, that is, family language, both universally and locally. We are family. We almost want to sing the song, right? We are family. And as a family, we are united together by common birth and by love for each other. And I mentioned in one of the previous episodes that when a family lives together, and you think about it, when when grandma and grandpa come over, when when the family spends time together and eats together and worships together, you don't separate the family into their own categories. You value the opportunity for everyone to be together. And so do you think uh, of the Lord's Day worship um, and the people gathered there as your family? You know, when you do, it should be really hard to walk away from them, right? Is your family disposable? Well, these are your people, right? You are committed to them through thick and through thin. These are the people you care about. These are the people you are devoted to. And these are the people you call when you need help. And these are also the people you hope will call you when they need help, right? Because there is that family joy and connection and concern for one another. So these are the people that you spend time with. These are the people you invest in. These are the people you go to war with. These are the people you rally around when times get tough or when persecution comes. And we've been talking about this, Jim, over the last couple of years, right? When, when, and we got to get a a stronger sense of this. When times get tough, when things get more difficult, when the government um, squeezes tighter and when persecution comes, we are going to need each other way more than we think we do. See, and actually we need each other now. We We do. We just don't talk about it, Danny. And and I think we're so, I think the church, the universal church, especially in America, is so programmed into the public school system of methodology that we, 
we say we go to church and that they're our family. We say that. Yeah. And then we do on Sunday and, and, you know, maybe even during the week, you know, we'll make a meal for somebody or we'll get together with somebody, but that's not really family. Family is when the weird uncle does something wrong and you forgive him and he's still part of the family or you've got somebody that is dependent on you to do your function as part of the family. And so it's this idea of interdependency on the things that God has gifted us as we take dominion such that it all comes together and we're less dependent on the world system, if that makes any sense. And Well, family you know, takes care of each other right. is what you're really pointing to, right? right? This, this bigger idea than, and I've mentioned this even at church recently, um, loving each other is not just simply, well, I currently don't have any beefs with anybody. Right. Or no one's really making me mad. And you talk about, you know, the crazy uncle. Well, uh, somebody in the church might be that crazy uncle, and right. yet we still, uh, we, you, you, don't get, you don't get to run away and go right. find an, another place just because you've got this family member right. uh, who might rub some people the wrong way. Right. You, you, you need to be, this goes back to this idea of what love is, right. getting to commitment. We'll talk about more of that, uh, that as we go along And too. it's funny because in business, they do that today. If, if a person has a problem and you work through them, you're investing in them. The last thing you want to do is fire that person because you've now taught him the way to move forward. Right. And so it's this idea of, investing in people and caring for them and, and moving towards a common goal. And, you know, we talked about it with the simplicity of gardening this year, right? We've got three or four families that planted a lot of tomatoes. We've got tomatoes in our congregation coming out the ears. What if half of them planted tomatoes and the other half planted something else? And we, we shared together what that looked like. That would be just such a more productive, it would be better stewardship. It would be better for dominion. And it would be better if our food supply gets cut off by the government. Absolutely right, and this idea of of a commitment. You know, we live in such a disposable world. You know, Jim, you spent three hours underneath the bumper of your car instead of just being like, "Oh, I guess I have to get a new one." Like there was the thought of of I need to take the time with the one that I have to see how I can put it back together and repair it in a, in a way that um, that made good sense and it when it was functional and works. But I think sometimes that we have a a view of the church because there's so many options out there, right? right? And and because we are so affluent, uh, we can also treat a lot of things in this world that we um, uh, used to have a more of a sense of commitment to um, as more disposable. And the church can be a disposable thing. We're going to talk about that a little bit more too. Yeah, and we should see this coming around us, guys. Like we we look at, Dr. White posted today on Twitter, it was um, seven or eight people running into a Home Depot and pillaging it. You know, Mm. they're taking drills, they're taking all those things, and everyone looks at that and says it's horrible, and it is. The reality is next time you shop at Home Depot, you are funding that. Yeah, You are literally funding that because their insurance policy is covered by your profits. And so we've got to understand, we've got to be wise to the times and what's coming. And, you know, AOC, that, that great politician in New York, she said that's just people getting their daily bread. That's her perspective of it, is that this is an acceptable level because we're not taking care of them and giving them enough. And so we, we live in truly worldly insane times, and we have to prepare ourselves for what's coming. All that to say, <clears throat> it comes back to the reality that we're, we need each other and we need to, to look out for each other. And that requires a bond. That requires a sense of family that uh, that is really important. And so that's uh, a big part of what the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be understood and seen as, because it is real, we are a family, 
the way in which we treat each other and the way in which we <clears throat> view each other and live among each other really matters. So a, a great question to ask yourself, how do you think about and treat the church? For so many today, we treat the church, again, as a vendor. Uh, the church provides a service of music and a sermon that we hope is interesting. We, we want the people to be friendly, but so many today, we don't want to be really that close. Maybe if we get a couple friends out of the deal, that would be nice, but mainly I'm just hoping not to have any problems with anyone. Let's not be too serious about this love business, right? <clears throat> um, church is great if it is convenient, and church is great if it's comfortable, but family, that's a big ask for a lot of people today. But we contend, Jim, that a family, a body of various parts united together, uh, similarly, a single building, a temple, a, a other language that the scripture uses, it's, it's united in purpose and it is joined together in an inseparable way. Uh, that speaks to the universal body on the large scale throughout history, but the local church is to be a small-scale model of those values as well. See, the, lo the, the, the local church is, is to be a model for what we understand to be uh, true of the universal church. And so if we're going to do church well, the first principle is that we ought to view and treat the local church as family, thus there's an element of that in our name. The second principle for viewing the church and getting the most out of it is a view toward discipleship. Proverbs 27, 17 speaks of iron sharpening iron as analogous to the way one man sharpens another. Uh, Jesus taking on 12 men to teach in a close and intense environment. They did everything together. Travel, they ate, they worshiped, they served. And Jesus would also give them assignments and he would send them out to try it on their own and report back. Titus chapter 2 Older women looking to teach younger women. Paul with Timothy and others instructing them to also pass on the faith to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so listen, I keep saying that our philosophy of ministry, our structure, our integrated environment of diversity, it only sets us up to be healthy, but it does not mean that we are a healthy church because we have a good structure. We've removed some of the barriers, yes, we've brought everyone together, that's great, but if, if you aren't, if we all aren't engaging in discipleship, we're not going to be as healthy as we could be, and really as we ought to be. We will be a, a flabby church, <laughs> right? So what, what does discipleship look like, Jim? Oof. I mean, it's so much more than theology. I think that's that's the biggest thing for me that... that... <coughs> that I've picked up on as I've gone through years of caring for men is, uh, yeah, Bible studies are really important and, and studying God's word is important, but then it's everything else that God has done for that person such that you're enabling that person to be the best person God designed. And you're living into their lives in a way that you're the best blacksmith that we, that possibly can be in the world. You know, you want to honor God to the highest glory with what you do, the best donut maker, the best, you know, everything we do should be the best for God. So, you know, that's, that's discipleship is building other men into not what you want them to be, not a prescribed biblical theology model, but the way God designed them. So it's, it's orthodoxy and praxy. It's, it's right. how do you live in these people's lives in such a way that you motivate them regardless of their reaction? You know, discipleship is, is you living into them regardless of how they respond. So you know, sometimes, and you know this, Danny, sometimes I hold on to men too long because I care so much for them and I want them to grow that I'm willing to invest even if I've been turned away three or four or five times. And, 
that's that's just the way God's designed me, and that's the way we have to live into each other's lives. So, well, and those are those are important elements. The the discipleship we certainly see with Jesus, and and you said it already. And I don't want our listeners to think that that you just minimized it because you weren't. Um, the recognition of the value of Bible study, the right. value of theology. Uh, the 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 challenge is is that um, we can we can live in the air, we we can live in the ivory tower, we can live in the theoretical and in the uh, and in the theological realm. Right. But the the purpose of those things is to get us into the real world. Right. It's to get us into the application. Right. And that's where discipleship. That's where you're getting at is. Uh, what we see with Jesus, right? Jesus is living with them, and they're living it out. They're they're living out the life that that Christ has for them as they walk with Him, and He teaches them and gives them assignments and has them go try it, like go go see how this works, and then come back and let's talk about it and see understand what we learned and so forth. So those are important elements, and really, so discipleship is really about a teacher and student, and, and the recognition that we need to get back to, guys, is that. Um, the church is not simply about the pastors being the only teachers and everyone else is the students. Uh, we are all to be growing in our in our efforts at discipling one another. <clears throat> if, unless you think that the Great Commission, <clears throat> excuse me, is making disciples uh, only given to the the job of pastors, but if it's if it's actually a responsibility for all those in Christ's train to. Um, to make disciples, to be engaged in that process, then we all have a responsibility to um, to be teachers. And and look, we all will be right. If you're if you're a parent, you're a discipler. Uh, that's that's your job description. Um, and so, really, teaching and being taught. And so, really, a, a big part of what we're talking about here is life in the body is to be characterized by discipleship. Meaning, you need to be discipling and you need to be discipled. You need to be. Uh, looking for someone who is investing in, who can invest in you, who can teach you, who can model for you, as well as who can you pass along the experience and the knowledge of God's word and its application, both of them the positive and negative. We talk about this all the time. The value of both doing well and in failure being able to communicate truth. It's funny because we talk about our part in sanctification, Danny, and that's exactly right. And you, you know, it's I'm going to preview my sermon that I'm working on, but. The church wins down here. I mean, the church, it's not that we lose down here. The church actually wins. The world loses. You know, John's right that, well, this is my view, is John's right that things will get worse, but the church wins. You know, Jesus builds the church on Peter, my rock, and he says, the gates of Hades will not contain you. Bind up for the things here on earth that you'll get in eternity. That binding up is chaining. And in 2 Timothy, it says, God's word is unchained. So, we have complete unfettered access to bring this gospel to the world and win. Everything that we gather, that God brings us, that we take and disciple, is a win. It's not a loss. And it points to how is it that we win? Through the normal, ordinary means the, of the of the ordinary daily things we do. And it's the local church. That's it's right. the local church, men discipling men, and we win. That's eh, just a beautiful picture. No, it's good. And I'll give John credit in the right way, but... Unequivocally, the scripture is clear that we win. Another element of discipleship is talking about discipline, right? So discipleship is teaching and helping people with dis discipline, self-discipline. Uh, those types of things are really important. And also service. We see that there's there's value in teaching one another, leading each other, doing things together in acts of service to the body. 
And another element of discipleship, of course, is is time. Look, if if you're not spending time with God's people in the local church, um, if this if your family if you if you don't spend time with your family, uh, how close are you going to be with your family? How good of a relationship are you going to have? It, it's it's really important that that time and life be spent together, and that's really what we see a lot with Jesus teaching us about discipleship, is the amount of time that he spent with them was tremendous, and it was immersive. And we ought to be loving each other and including each other as much as possible in our lives with the ways in which we do things, whether it's schooling together, whether it is um, recreating together, whether it is working together, uh, whether it's helping each other and invi- and, and uh, enjoying leisure time together, how, uh, you know, all these types of things. Hospitality. People should be in your homes. You should be in other people's homes. All those types of things are part of living life together and uh, having a view towards discipleship. Some principles about discipleship also include the reality that you need older and more mature people. This is why uh, this is one of the beauty, beautiful things about family integration is we have available and included in the body, accessible, visible to you, knowable to you, people with life experience and life experience in the Lord. So people with, uh, shall we say, balding and gray hairs, hey. uh, uh, and, and and people who have who have raised their families, uh, people with grandchildren, etc. Uh, these are some people that uh, that you should be considering talking to, as well as if you're in that category yourself, you should be see- seeking out some younger folks that you care about and that you pray for and that you invest in that you spend some time with. Uh, I love the crossover of that multi-generational element. Why? Because that's how discipleship really happens. That's how discipleship works. And so you need the older and the more mature with the younger, less mature. And if you separate each other out into your different corners, your different age, quote unquote, appropriate uh, spheres, then what happens is, is you've just separated the greatest means for discipleship in the church from one another. And we just announced the Truth Family Bibleship homeschool, you know, co-op. But the reality is, is that's not just for parents. That's for everyone in the church. It's exactly what you're talking about of, of teaching younger kids what God has gifted you with. So if you're a blacksmith, you should have those kids and show them how to make an axe. You should literally have them and be excited to show these young children, you know, how to wield things and, and how to build things and how to use your hands and how God has gifted you or start in off, such a way. Or start off the way uh, Jonah did with, he started off making knives. Right. Right. And and that's the way a lot of people get right. started. And so, the but the point is, is what an opportunity to invest in other people. Yeah. And that's just one example, right? We, we like that because uh, we, we really enjoy. No, but everyone's gifted. Everyone's gifted uniquely that's right. and individually. That's right. So that my point is, is no matter what God has gifted you at, you can share that with other people. That And that that is all the things you're talking about with discipleship. The, the word that's missing in all that is dependency. Mm-hmm. We need a dependency on each other. Positively. To go through life yeah. because God's designed us that Not way. the dependency of victimhood, but the right. dependency of, of family right. and of love for each other. Right. Yeah, I, I was just thinking the other day, you know, um, there's a particular gentleman in our church that I want to talk to um, in this in this vein. I know he has a, a Ford Bronco that he's looking to do some work on and re- like replace the motor and that, I mean, that level of work. And I was like, you know, it would be really great if if in that process... He has some, uh, maybe some some younger young guys leaning over the hood with him, whether it's handing him handing him the wrench uh, or 
him ha- uh, handing the, the youth a wrench or talking it through it and identifying how things work. These are things that um, are opportunities. And if, if we just see them, and that's what, you know, you talked about, Jim, this orthopraxy, this living out, the taking dominion of our world amongst the body. We should be able to do that together. And that's a bigger view than just Sunday. And I think we're pretty good in the special, you know, so if uh, someone's truck breaks around and he needs a truck to pull his tra- camper, he can have mine. Like that is, those are easy decisions. We tend to, to be emergency. Uh, we're ready for the emergency. And that's my point. I think right. we do well there. And I think that's what people think church is today. And what you and I have always talked about is this ordinary means where, no, it means we're doing that every day in every small detail of life, sharing tomatoes, sharing gardens, sharing everything. It, it requires us to think about it in advance, which we're just not as good about. Right. Um, and I can admit that for myself. I, I think sometimes that's the uh, It a requires challenge. a bit of vulnerability too, Danny. Yeah. It's, it's putting yourself yeah. out there and going, here I am, broken Jim. Things that, there's a lot of things I don't know. Right. Right. So being able to say that, being able to communicate that, being able to plan in advance that uh, I, I want to improve on this and now I have to take some steps. You know, it might not just be, I can just go out whenever I want to go uh, or, or I have a free moment to go work on the this this Bronco, but actually I would need to plan so that Junior can get over here at a at a particular time and day, and we can work on it together. And those are those are challenging. I'm not saying that that the, these are always easy or or there's it's perfect, um, but it does give us pause, hopefully, to think about more than just my time, my convenience, in, in individual. Aloneness, and you're going to hear this: the economics of time. I'm working on stewardship of time, and and listen, we we have more wasted time than we recognize, mm. and most of that wasted time is selfish individual time, where you're sitting in your recliner or you're doing something that you like, with no one else around. Mm. So, all right, let's all prepare to be convicted. All right, moving <laughs> on here. Uh, the third principle for functioning well in our family integrated church is love. Now, you may think that there is an overlap here with the first principle of family, and there certainly is, but I want to point to the reality that we have a lot of young families and a lot of little ones in the service with us. And that means in order for us to do this together well, we need to remember the words of 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, Uh, love is kind. Uh, Other parts speak of love does not seek its own, love is not provoked, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. How does this apply to you? And how does this apply to you at church? How does this engage you with the people at Truth Family Bible Church or the church that you attend? Are you patient with those who have fussy babies? Uh, We'll talk about more of that in a little bit as well. Are you kind to encourage them and others? And listen, one of the characteristics of loving people is that they take an interest in someone else. Do you have an interest in someone else so that you will ask them questions about them? And look, listen, I want to, uh, to pull the microphone a little bit closer here. I want to talk to uh, the people of our church and talk about the value of... This could be a valuable, by the way, class. This could be a valuable podcast to talk about how it is that you be a friend and love other people in conversation. I, I think how we talk to each other, how we actually take an interest, instead of standing there um, quietly, silently, how do you actually love someone else 
one of the great ways is to actually care about them, to ask them about them, to ask questions, good questions, caring questions. Uh, do you know what's going on in the life of other people? If not, there's really a, a normal, ordinary way to do that. That's to talk to them and to ask them questions. Those are ways that you would love them. Are you interested in helping or contributing, or are you hoping just to be left alone? Are you more focused on being served than on being a servant who loves the people around you? And if we love the body, that is the whole body, including people, including the crazy uncle, right? People that aren't like us, people that are even like us, then we will be on the road to then being a healthy church. But it requires love, which is commitment and care um, and 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 really it goes back to even that discipleship, being around each other, caring for each other, speaking to each other, asking questions, seeking to serve each other. I love Jay Vernon in this area, Jay Vernon McGee. I can hear him in his voice. He says, love bears all things. Bears has the thought of protection. Love puts up an umbrella for others. Love believeth <coughs> all things. It doesn't mean we love foolishly. It doesn't mean that we love with, re but we regard people without suspicion. We have a positive, back to this positive intention. Mm -hmm. We think about them in a positive way. And then he says, love hopes all things. And Jay Vernon says, oh, the optimism of love. And I, I just love the way he expresses it. And love remains strong through testing. It, it's just a, a beautiful picture of the things that we should do that we all struggle with. So, Well, when we deal with this even in parenting. Sometimes it's the, the, the way our children need to love each other is to stop being so easily annoyed Stop being so easily offended and also stop annoying and stop being, um, you know, offensive. Right. And, and it's all of those different things. It's, it's, it's the, the, the positive intention, the, the promotion of goodwill and the, the hope that you have for one another. And we know this when we're disciplining our kids. It's not enough. I've said this before. It's not enough to point out them that they're sinning. You actually have got to discipline them in showing them how to behave properly. And sometimes that requires discipline. But that's exactly the role. So you would never stop at just saying, hey, you're sinning. That's not good enough. And it's the same with love. It's it's not enough. Um, you actually have to take that positive step over to that person and love them. Yeah. So. No, that's good. Well, finally, the last principle that will help us to do well in a family-integrated environment is that word discipline. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, first, we need to see the value as as families of dis, uh, of disciplining ourselves during the worship service. And obviously we recognize that we have all ages together, and that means that church is not a vacation from parenting. Moms and dads are dealing with their little ones, and one of the goals of parenting in church is to teach our children to be disciplined in the gathering. And, and this is a really important lesson, and we want children to understand this lesson from the earliest age possible. We were just talking with um, Marco this past uh, Lord's Day and uh, with, with young Max, and the, the reality that, that you know, we all know where Max you know, started off. He was struggling. He, he was learning. He didn't, know, he didn't know these things, and his parents were working at disciplining him. And by the time, now he's, a, what, a year and a half, not, not even two years old, I don't believe. And we don't hear from Max really so much anymore. <laughs> and, and you go, at some point, discipline takes over, and children learn and it's see if if uh, if a person off the street walks in with a one and a half year old that doesn't hasn't been disciplined in this area, the one and a half year old is people being a one and a half year old sitting through church. Nah, can't happen. No, that's not it's not meant to happen. Put them in the nursery. Right. And the reality is, no, 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 they can when parents are working through it, and it's not easy. It's not it's not always fun. 
and we'll talk about that a little bit, but I, I think it's so good and valuable to realize that this is one of the goals and one of the long-term benefits for, uh, for people is to learn these lessons of discipline. So when we are gathered together for worship, parents are to discipline their children toward proper and respectful behavior. So then when we sing, they're invited to sing. When we pray and receive the preach wor- preached word, uh, they are to be taught to sit still, be quiet, and to listen. And when we pray on Sunday nights, it's a wonderful thing that they get to join in, and we, we want to teach our kids and welcome them to praying uh, with one another. But kids don't just come ready-made for these things. They have to be taught and disciplined into it, but they can and they do achieve it. And so first, let's address the parents who have little ones. We just want to encourage you. Just keep after it and know that we support you and encourage you in what you are doing. If you have a little one that is having trouble, just know it's okay. It is normal for things like that to happen. When they become disruptive, we especially encourage dads to just take charge, take the child out, apply appropriate discipline, get them to calm down, set the new expectation, and then come back in. And that's just the process. There is no shortcut, right? It's just what it is. That's the short, that's what discipline is. That's the process. There isn't a way around it. And if it happens again, it's lather, rinse, repeat. It's the process. You do it again. And you want your children to be given expectations, to receive discipline for disobedience, and then to return to the expectations. So this is an important um, principle, important lesson. Don't just stay out or not come back to your seat when you take your fussy child out. Because what happens is um, is that when you do that, you've actually taught the kid that the way I get to get out of church is to fuss, and then mom or dad takes me out, and I don't have to go back. And so you actually are just prolonging the, the, the difficulty and, and, the, and the struggle. So if your child learns that the way that they get to leave the uncomfortable and undesirable situation if they learn that they can cry or wiggle or somehow misbehave and they don't have to come back, you're, you're doing uh, your discipline um, a, a disservice. So, But don't worry about the fact that your little one disobeyed and cried or was disruptive. It's okay. It's to be expected. We do welcome parents who are working on it in these areas. We don't, we don't of course, want all of that but we want you to be engaged in the process of parenting and disciplining your children. Just know we're on your side and the disruption uh, is not a problem. Truthfully, I smile all the time because to me it's discipleship. It's disciples <coughs> being built. That's exactly what's happening is, is usually the fathers are doing the work. That's right. They're teaching the kids. So, and and you see you see the growth. I mean, we, you talked about Marco. It's a, it's a fantastic thing. Not only your perspective of Marco as he disciplines, you see him doing that. But then you see his young son coming along. and You get to rejoice with him in the fruit. And all the other fathers see that. And the ones that are struggling, they go talk to Marco. Like, that's what you should do. Hey, Marco, what did you do? That's right. And, and you it, it, keep if you keep trying to avoid um, being a distraction by escaping or by not coming back, it, it, it's, not, it, it's not really helping anyone. We just want to encourage you to just... Uh, stick with it and and know that this is this is this is the way. This is how it works. This is how everybody ultimately has to do it, especially if they're after it at the earlier ages. So keep working on your family's good behavior. Keep up the good parenting and don't get frustrated and lose heart. Uh, and by the way, as the preacher, I can handle it. Uh, I'll just keep going, or if necessary, just to break things up, we'll just maybe uh, 
call a brief attention to it so that we can uh, then redirect back to the uh, the study and the message. But but know that it's it's not um, an offense and, or a problem for me. And we'll talk about the congregation here uh, as well. Now, I, I do want to also give some tips to everyone for avoiding distractions. Now, the service is about an hour and a half long, typically. At least I think it is. I don't l- look at the clock at all. But uh, by the way, that's sh- our service is shorter than most movies and concerts. Uh, one thing that will help you and everyone else is if you and your children use the restroom before the service. Just a, a just a helpful ordinary tip, really. I know some people drive a long ways to get to church, and it may mean that you need to arrive a, a couple minutes earlier, um, but it's part of self-discipline, and, and that's learning to how to hold your water. It really is just a, an ordinary part of life. And, and I mentioned movies and concerts as an example, pe- because most people who are engaged in something they're interested in, turns out they can wait to go to the bathroom. Even little kids can. A, a, very few people get up during a movie to tinkle, and when they do, it's annoying. Uh, notice uh, notice next time that you put a movie on, though, very few kids are ever getting up in the middle of it and missing the movie in order to go potty. And the point is, almost all of us don't have special kids. They can hold it. And it's mainly a matter of discipline. This is something that, that uh, I remember as a kid we, we grew up with. It's, no, you don't get to, get to leave church uh, and wander off and, and to go to the bathroom in the middle of church you're going to have to wait and hold it and we had and then you have to be intentional about taking care of business in advance um but mostly it's about discipline uh, they can do it and it's not uh it's not a strange and foreign concept but this applies to adults as well we can be uh, an unnecessary distraction by being undisciplined in our bodies and this is a small way that we can love our neighbors in disciplining our bodies to not be a distraction uh, but as we said earlier sometimes look sometimes things happen and, and people are going through things. Uh, we want to minimize them, but if there is a serious need, we don't hear us say, don't go to the bathroom. If you need to get up and go, or maybe you need to pay, uh, pace in the back because you have a sore back, right, Jim? Right. <laughs> um, it's fine. It's right. fine. But again, the emphasis on doing this well is normalizing discipline. That's the big idea. Normalizing discipline and normalizing self-discipline. And that was me the other night. You saw me. I, yeah. I had to get up and stretch, and I had to hurt my back earlier, and working through it. So that's okay. And, and that's okay. And we, the idea is we do want to minimize distraction, but distractions exist. We, we, we live with them. We're going to talk about that next. Um, and that's really this, this final element here of talking about uh, discipline and, and our functioning well in a family integrated environment. And that is for all those who don't have children, uh, those who are disciplined in their bodies, uh, but who aren't well disciplined when it comes to distractions. And so listen, I like to refer to this concept as rubbernecking. I, I, I throw that, that phrase around. And rubbernecking was something we were used to, especially in Southern California. Uh, rubbernecking is the slang term for people on one side of the freeway who cause problems for themselves and those around them when they are distracted by a crash on the other side of the freeway in the opposite lanes. Rubbernecking is when people stop paying attention to what they are supposed to be doing and, and the responsibility that they have and they get real interested in someone else's business and trouble. And of course, we're all tempted at this, right? But when that baby cries out on the other side of the room, don't be a rubbernecker. Don't be distracted. And, and thus be become a distraction for others. Because look, <clears throat> when the people in front of you, and this is, again, this is the concept on the freeway. When you're uh, jerking your neck to the left to go to look at that crash on the other side of the freeway, 
the guy behind you is, and you're, you're unconsciously taking your foot off of the gas, or maybe you are consciously taking your foot off the gas and slowing down so you can get a better look at what's going on. The guy behind you now has to do, it does what? He looks also, and he has to slow down. And suddenly a crash on the other side of the freeway affects your side where there is no crash. Yeah, we know this. The statistics on rubbernecking causing crashes right. is dramatic. <laughs> Even police cars, the number of police cars that get hit out there is dramatically increased because people are watching instead of doing what? It's, Driving. Instead of taking care of themselves right. and, and their own responsibility. And so, um, again, part of, part of handling distractions is the discipline to not be distracted yourself. All right, I'm guilty because I smile when they cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, we'll talk about when it's more related to closer I proximity. But the, the, the big idea is as a whole, um, if you're seeking to try to not be distracted, um, it lessens the distraction uh, around you. So you can actually contribute to the to the solution. So uh, just try not to look and, and don't worry about it. Teach your family to not be unduly distracted by distractions. Because distractions are a part of life. People who who deal with them well and seek to not be distracted, they contribute to the overall positive uh, nature of things. Um, furthermore, beware of looking to be judgmental. This is an important element as well. Uh, so-and-so got up to go to the bathroom. Well, are they undisciplined? Or perhaps there is something going on that you don't know about. You don't know, and it's it isn't your immediate business. So then discipline yourself to not be so distracted worried about it, or overly judgmental. Pray for that person if you need to, but life happens and we need to, again, be loving toward each other. And so remember, patience, enduring all things, right? Going back to our understanding of love, discipline also in this area of of not being judgmental and not being so concerned about the situations around you. Boy, and that occurs mentally too, Danny, where, you know, there's no kid crying, but you're thinking, oh, this sermon really applies to Mark (laughs) instead of listening to what God is moving in you. And boy, are we all guilty of that? So, And coming, yeah, going back to this this element of the discipline for ourselves and the love for one another. And if something is happening, by the way, in front of you, close to you, are you able to be helpful or encouraging? Maybe not. Uh, I thought of Jim as well. Can you smile instead of scowling? Can you give them some tips after the service to help them? Can you pray for them? Also, can you work at not being so distracted yourself even when you are in close proximity? And if you are struggling with distractions around you, maybe you should sit up front because if they're behind you, it's a lot harder to uh, be innocent of of um, or it's a lot easier to be innocent of rubbernecking uh, when it's uh, when it's behind you. So if you're distracted, if you're finding yourself distracted because we got a lot of little ones, then maybe sit up a little bit closer uh, to the front and, and it'll help yourself out a little bit. I'd go even further, Danny. We talked about love. I would say after, encourage that young man. Encourage those, them on you're doing great and you know this is hard work, but it's going to pay off. Just be positive. Absolutely. So absolutely, that that's uh, that should be a welcome thing, and that's another just good point and another element. Uh, a valuable piece of us being together as a family is the recognition that we can help and contribute to e- to each other, and we can we can say, hey, I, I noticed I noticed you did this. Hey, good job. Stick with it. Right. You know, or it can be, hey, look, um, I think I think you're you're having a, an approach to this that is that's not correct. Right. Let me let me give you my counsel. And listen, if you disagree with that, um, receive it well. And you know, with, as it said, you know, with, with a grain of salt, you, you, you really just can, you don't have to do everything that everything tells you, everybody tells you to do, 
but it's valuable to care about each other enough to say something, right. to encourage them or to give them some advice to help and just uh, take that positively. So of course, the overall point is that if we are loving each other and seeking discipline for ourselves and our families, we will enjoy a great worship worship service together. And we do now, but there are ways that we can continue to grow and improve our use of this wonderful opportunity to be the church, young, middle, and old alike, uh, the family-integrated model, or what we used to just call, as we should call as much as we can more, church. Sure. Uh, it, it, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to grow and to be together um, as a family. Well, that's all the time that we have for Truth Today. We want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and His church. As we are sanctified in the truth, God's Word is truth. Truth.